0: Good morning to uh, those who are joining us live stream. We see you out there and glad that you're with us. I uh, met some of the guests here this morning. We're glad to have you as well. And we say welcome home to you. We're in a sermon series entitled Killing Kryptonite. Last week, we were talking about kind of what's at stake with this whole thing. The, the actions that we take, either for good or for ill, affect, you know, have consequences, not just for ourselves, our families, future generations, and even our entire church. Um, So we want to continue that today by really drilling down and and identifying what kryptonite is. You know, you probably already knew, and you certainly from last week, kryptonite, spiritual kryptonite, is in the family of sin. We say kryptonite, you know, Superman. We love Superman, but he has his weakness, and it's kryptonite. And so Christians have to watch out for the spiritual kryptonite, which is uh, sin. And and our study today, and our study this morning, we've got a lot of scripture to cover. Uh, Somebody asked me before church, they said, you know, could you slow it down a little bit? You're really talking fast. Last week, and I said, yeah, absolutely, next week. I'll slow it down next week. I can't slow it down today. I've just got too many Scripture, a lot of Scripture, and we'll put them up there for you. But uh, so spiritual kryptonite, Paul referred to that which caused Christians to be weak, sick, ultimately in, in danger of spiritual death. You know, sometimes we're not experiencing the joy that we should, the peace that's available to us, and the love. And it's because of spiritual kryptonite. So there's a certain kind of sin that we want to zero in on, and it's the sin of idolatry. Now, some people, when they hear that, some Christians say, oh, okay, sin of idolatry, breathe a sigh of relief. I know that's not going to be me. I'm not going to have my toe stepped on today. I don't have a shrine or a little statue or carving that I bow down to every morning, but we want to do a deeper dive in, into what idolatry is because it's such a serious business for we who are believers, and we're going to ask and answer five questions this morning about idolatry, starting with what is idolatry? Now, the Bible teaches that all of us, all of humankind are born with an innate knowledge, an innate knowledge that there is a God, uh, that He is deserving of our worship, really a desire for that God, a desire to worship God. Romans 2.14, Paul writes, Even Gentiles who do not have God's written law show that they know His law when they instinctively obey it without even having heard it. They demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts for their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them that they are doing right. So we have this innate knowledge of God. And in addition to that, you've got the testimony of creation. Not only is the awareness of God written on our hearts, But creation bears witness to the wisdom and the power of God. Somebody was talking with me right before service today about they just got back from a trip out west and they saw the Grand Tetons and how massive and impressive that is. And then they saw this little flower and they were zeroing in on the bud of the flower. And all of this bears witness to how wise and powerful a creator our God is. Paul continues in Romans 119. They know the truth about God because he's made it obvious to them. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, so that they have no excuse for not knowing God. So obviously, a person can put on a facade and they can reason away or they convince themselves that there is no God, but inside folks know. And every person in this room and outside this room comes to a critical juncture at some point in their life, a crossroads. And you can go down one road and follow that to the one true God, the God of the Bible, and acknowledge Him and love Him and worship Him and obey Him. Or uh, take the other road, and the other road leads to idolatry, and it's a denial of God, and, and, and it's an attempt to meet our needs and our desires and our wants in ungodly ways, in ways that God has not commanded. And I, so where do idols come from? Even the little statues in the shrines or other kinds of idols? Well, they're all created by human beings. And if I go down that path and I'm going to create an idol, then the God, the deity, the substitute deity that I create is going to approve of whatever I want to do. It's going to provide for me what I decide that I want, and I get to decide how that God is to be pleased. Romans 1.21, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And we'll come back to that thought. They wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think of foolish ideas of what God was like and as a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols. Idols. So one, one commentator has suggested this definition for idolatry. Idolatry is humanity putting aside God and what God clearly wants in order to satisfy cravings or desires contrary to His wishes. It may be that the desire itself is contrary to his wishes, or it may be a good desire, but it's being satisfied in ways that God has not commanded, God has not instructed, independent of God. So that's idolatry. All right, question number two. What are the roots of idolatry? Where does this all come from? We're going to go back to uh, Romans 121 and say two things here. Number one, Romans 121, they would not worship him as God. The root of idolatry is refusal to worship the one true God as God. Well, let's drill down a little bit. So what are we talking about when we say worship Him as God? What, what comes into our mind when we think of the word worship? You know, if what comes into our mind is when the praise band leads us in a slow song, that's worship, well, we may miss the message here. That may be one aspect of worship. The worship is a lot more fundamental than that the first use of the word worship in the Bible is in Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22, verse 5, Abraham says, the boy and I will travel a little farther. We will worship there. I'm not saying that's the first instance of worship in the Bible. It's the first use of the word. Now, when Abraham said he and Isaac were going to travel a little farther and then they were going to worship God, what did he mean by that? Did he mean that When they got a little farther, they were going to get some instrumentalists together and sing a slow song to the Lord? No, not at all. And if you know the back story, you know what what he meant was they were going to go a little further, and then Abraham was going to obey the command that God had given him three days earlier to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. He was going to obey God no matter what the cost. One huge umbrella, aspect, root of worship is obedience to God. It is basic obedience to God. It is a posture, a humble posture, where we're going to obey the will of God. He is our Lord, and He is our Master. Now, in the Law of Moses, God had given many instructions on um, sacrifices that the Israelites could offer to Him. They could offer a lamb, for instance. They could offer a bull. They could burn grain. They could burn frankincense in the in the temple and in, in the sanctuary, as these were examples of offerings. But there came a time when God was displeased with those particular actions. He says in Isaiah 66:2, "I will bless those who have a humble and contrite hearts, who tremble at my word. But those who choose their own ways will not have their offerings accepted." When such people sacrifice a bull, it's no more acceptable than a human sacrifice. When they sacrifice a lamb, it's as though they had sacrificed a dog. When they bring an offering of grain, they might as well offer the blood of a pig. When they burn frankincense, it's as if they had blessed an idol. So in that passage, you'll note that God started off by saying, here are the people who have my attention and my blessing. It is those who have the humble, contrite heart and tremble at my word. That means it is those who have a posture all week long, all year long, a posture of obedience to God. He is Lord. But then he turns around and says, but those who are choosing their own way, right? they're not going God's way, they're choosing their own way, even though they may be offering sacrifices that were prescribed in the law of Moses when they go to the temple or the tabernacle, those will not be accepted. They're invalid. They're negated by this attitude that they have. Refusal to obey. So, uh, you know, for we who are Christians, there's an application there. It's a, I believe in corporate worship coming together. The Bible tells us to do that. There are certain things that are prescribed. You know, we are a fellowship, through worship through the Word, and we praise the Lord, and we have the Lord's Supper. But if if throughout the week, and the other parts of our life if there's not this humble contrite heart and obedience to God these acts of worship are negated as the Apostle Peter wrote first 1 Peter 1 14 we must live as God's obedient children so worship is obedience and secondly worship is gratitude worship is gratitude going back Romans 1 again they wouldn't even give God thanks Uh, an attitude of entitlement. If I have it, I'm not grateful. You know, I deserve, I I deserve a certain standard of living. I deserve certain material possessions. I I have these wants or I have these needs and I deserve to have them and I'm going to get them no matter what. That's gonna result in us not being grateful and thankful as we all should be right here, right now, whatever our circumstances, being grateful and thankful to God. So talking about they would not worship him as God, would not have this posture of humble obedience, and they would not give him thanks. These are the roots, the roots of idolatry. What are the consequences? This question number three. What are the consequences of idolatry? Back to Romans one twenty four. So, God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired, as a result they did vile integrating things with each other's bodies they traded the truth of about god for a lie so they worshiped and served the things god created instead of the creator himself who is worthy of eternal praise amen so what happens if i take this road you know i follow these roots of idolatry and i reject god and i do not obey him i don't give him thanks and i'm going to create my own gods i'm going to begin to submit Not to the Creator, but the things that He created. And I'm going to submit myself basically to my own nature. And the problem with my nature, our nature, is that it's corrupted. It's cursed. It's been cursed by sin. We can't trust it. When we go down that road, it's as if the moral compass has been corrupted and things get turned upside down. And we can see this. Think about our society. He says, they trade the truth a lie. So that which is good now that society says this is good it's really it's bad. That which is evil and you know society says this is evil, that's really the good. That which society says is wise that's really foolishness. we go down the rabbit hole and everything in the society gets turned upside down. in Romans 126 he continues that is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Now, the next, uh, what follows that verse, the next 137 words, Paul lists 22 different offenses against God that are evidence or consequences of a bondage to a lifestyle of idolatry. Here's some examples, Romans 128. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, Envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They're backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning. They disobey their parents. They refuse to understand. They break their promises, are heartless, and have no mercy. Now, a lot of those things, in and of themselves, can be idolatrous activities. In other words, they're simply masks. They're masks or they're medications trying to satisfy the need that people have to worship the one true God and obey him and satisfy our needs and desires in the godly ways that He has prescribed. And we do not have to look far in our society uh, to see evidence of these kinds of behaviors. It leads to the breakdown of our social fabric. It leads to breakdown in families and pain and bondage. Romans: 132. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die yet they do them anyway worse yet they encourage others to do them too. so we see it in our our government our media our television our movies social media influencers who know good and well this is what God prescribes but we're gonna turn our back on that ignore it and do something different altogether it's idolatry now you can walk down most streets in America you're not gonna see carvings of stone or wood statues or shrines, but that doesn't mean that America is not an idolatrous nation. We're the nation is steeped in idolatry. The culture is falling headlong into idolatry, and and we are enveloped and overwhelmed with waves of propaganda for idolatry. We are. I mean, that's the environment that we live in, and this is why I want to sort of raise the awareness this morning that we're susceptible to the influence of this idolatrous process. All right, so that's idolatry. And fourth question, what makes idolatry adultery? Now, let's imagine uh, Justin and Angela. They're in their first year of marriage. They're enjoying a great marriage, and they're very compatible, and they love each other. And one day, Justin comes home from work to find Angela getting ready to go out. She's got her makeup on, her hair is done, she's dressed, And he says, honey, obviously I missed something on the calendar here. We're going out tonight. I'm sorry, where are we going? And she says, well, you're not going anywhere. I'm I'm going out tonight. And he says, well, what? where are you going? She says, well, I'm going out with Tom. And Justin says, with Tom? Who's Tom? Angela says, well, Tom's my uh, boyfriend from high school. She says, yeah, we're going to go out. We're going to have dinner. We're going to have a movie. Spend the night at the Hilton. I'll be back mid-morning tomorrow. And Justin says, what? You can't do that. And Angela says, well, why not? He said, because we're married. She said, yeah, so what? She says, well, Mary, that, that means we're, we have an exclusive relationship. You can't date other people. I don't date other people. She said, oh, Justin, is that what you thought? She says, oh, no, listen, I've got relationships with lots of guys from the past. There's no reason just because we're married that I should abandon those. She says, tell you what, I love you more than any of them. I spend 90% of my time with you. You just have to share me about 10% of the time. And Justin's upset. Does Justin have a right to be upset? Yeah, most of us would say he does. We would say that's a pretty ridiculous analogy. But nevertheless, uh, that's because we understand the, the very inherent nature of marriage. It's a covenant relationship between two people and it's exclusive. Well, biblically speaking, as you may well know, the Bible portrays our relationship with God as a marriage covenant. All right? This was the case with Old Testament Israel. It's the case. With New Testament church, and in those within those covenant, when a covenant person, a believer, commits idolatry, it is akin to adultery. Now, just a couple of examples here: Isaiah fifty-four five, your creator will be your husband; the Lord of Heaven's armies is his name. So God's the husband, and the people are the wife. Sorry guys, but we, as as a congregation, are the wife. Ezekiel sixteen thirty-eight. I will punish you for your adultery. Jeremiah 3:20 You have been unfaithful to me, you people of Israel. You have been like a faithless wife who leaves her husband. I the Lord have spoken. So idolatry is adultery for covenant people. The Old Testament prophet Hosea he was commanded to marry a prostitute, which he did. And then she had multiple affairs. And God used that as a real-life example of how he pictured Israel when they committed idolatry, it was adultery. John the Baptist continues this image when he says, Jesus is the bridegroom, and he said, I'm the best man. And Jesus accused the Israelites of being an adulterous generation. Not because they were worshiping idols, because they were satisfying wants, needs, and desires in godless ways. And Paul writes in Ephesians 5:31, A man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. It's a great mystery, but it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one marriage is an illustration of the church's relationship to christ the apostle james continues the adultery analogy james 4 3 when he says your motives are all wrong you want only what will give you pleasure you adulteresses don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of god he wasn't talking about idols and statues and he wasn't talking to unbelievers the 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 letter of james is written to christians and he deals with the same kind of things we saw last week with the Apostle Paul in Corinth and what was happening at communion and the people were being selfish and they weren't honoring the rest of the body of Christ. James is dealing with those same interpersonal issues amongst the Christians. And, and he says, you're committing adultery before the Lord and he compares it to friendship with the world. John writes in 1 John two sixteen for the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. The message paraphrase put that, puts that this way. Wanting your own way, wanting everything for yourself, and wanting to appear important. Do we have to watch out for this? Yeah, we have to watch out for this. John Bevere is the author of Bait of Satan. Uh, Bait of Satan, he writes this. To commit adultery with the world is to be driven by the intense desire of what will bring pleasure to our five physical senses or what will feed our self-worth independent of God. Now God wants to feed our self-worth and God wants to meet our needs and our desires in the way God has prescribed. But So this is independent of God. This is the driving force of the world. It comes down to this posture. I know what's best for me and I want it. A Christian engages in idolatry When he or she disregards what God has clearly revealed in order to obtain a strong desire for a Christian, idolatry is known disobedience to the will of God. It's different than when a believer falls into sin and repents. Idolatry occurs when a believer is given over to sin. That man or woman has elevated their desire above God's will and formed an idol. And that's what I'm calling spiritual kryptonite. It makes us weak and sick and can lead to spiritual death. What is the progression of idolatry? Finally, James 1.14, temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Intent,